Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Today's guests on the podcast are Christine Lydon of the Braintree Police Department and Ed O'Brien of the Weymouth Police Department. Both officers are members of the Metrolec Peer Support Unit which is designed to provide support and assistance for first responders as they navigate themselves from a state of trauma to a place of wellness. Christine, Ed, I understand that you've both gone on to receive formal education and advanced degrees as well, so that you're more capable when it comes to helping first responders. We want to hear all about your careers in law enforcement and your opinions on first responder mental health. First, could you please take a moment to introduce yourselves to our audience? Uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for uh, having us on. Um, I've heard your podcast in the past, and I think it's really important. It's a great service for first responders where we can get the message out that mental health is real and mental health first aid is real. So thank you very much for having us. And uh, uh, I've been on the uh, Weymouth Police Department for 12 years. Prior to that, I was on the West Bridgewater Police Department for four years. And prior to that, I was an accountant. And I worked, oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a I, shift. I, I worked in uh, public accounting for two and a half years, in venture capital for almost five years. And uh, like to start it off, um, I always wanted to be a police officer since I was young. Uh, my grandfather was the former chief in Weymouth, Joe O'Kane. He was chief from the 1950s to the early 80s. So I grew up with him um, as a role model, and uh, it was something I saw that I saw what he did. And the stories he would tell, and it was something that I just fell in love with. And to pile on to that, my father was in the service for 32 years, Navy Reserve. So he was in the uniform all the time. And uh, my older brother was always looking to do something. He's now the current Hanson Fire Chief. Oh, wow. Yeah, my younger brother is a captain in the Navy. And uh, my sister's a RN registered nurse at Social Hospital. Wow, so first response in your family all around. Yeah, it's kind of in the family. And... uh, yeah, so it's been a great ride. I'm really happy I'm on it. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, and, you know, we end up in peer support and helping other officers um, with their mental health, which I think is a fantastic transition so far in my career. I love that too. And, um, you know, we're going to get into a lot more of that, but thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself, sure. Eddie. First, me get into Christine. You want to share? Yes. Um, thank you for having us on. Thank you for coming really, in, guys. We really appreciate everything you do. Um, I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and... I think it's so important to get the message out um, and get everyone's perspective mm. on um, first responders and how we can do things better and help each other support one another. So thank you for having us. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I have been on the Braintree Police Department for 25 years. Um, I, I grew up in Braintree. 
Uh, my dad was a police officer in Quincy for 32 years, and prior to that, he was he's a disabled Vietnam veteran. So I grew up um, with the police culture as well. Yeah. Um, my husband is also a um, police officer too. So um, I have three children. They we live in Braintree as well, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if if this is something that my kids want to do <laughs> someday. But um, yeah, so. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Your husband too, police officer. I'm going to get into the dynamics of that. How does that work in the Leiden household? (laughs) Day by day. (laughs) I'm sure it is. So I want to get into, um, I mean, we're we're very excited to have you guys in. I mean, I think that, you know, the the role that you're taking on, um, you know, going back to school and sort of being inspired to, to want to help others as far as like in peer support, but also, um, you know, forging, furthering your education for it, right? Just right there shows your passion, right? To to really want to help. Um, before we get into all of that, I sort of want to let our listeners know a little bit about you, your whole story, your journey as police officers within your departments, like what roles you play. Um, there, like you, you were twelve years on in in Weymouth, right, yep. Eddie, and then before that in Bridgewater, West Bridgewater, in yeah. West Bridgewater. Yep. Yeah, I always see. I'm I'm not from this country, right. so I always <laughs> like Bridgewater, Bridgewater, <laughs> right? But it's not. Um, but so tell us if you want to share with us, uh, whoever wants to go first, like a little bit, like what roles have you played within your departments? Um, Twenty five years as a police officer yes but tell us a little bit about that I mean 25 years on the job as a Braintree police officer living in Braintree and your husband is also a police officer like what roles what roles have you played within those 25 years as as an officer so most of my career I was in patrol Um, yeah I did when I was pregnant with my children Um, they were trying to put me someplace to get off the road yeah and um, I did the firearms licensing for a little while Firearms, so yeah. Yeah, so that was interesting. I was happy for that opportunity. Yeah. Um, for the past six years, I've um, been in detectives. Okay. So um, that's I like that job as yeah. well. I'm what do you do as an attack detective? Um, we investigate sexual assaults, um, all sorts of crimes. Mm. Um, occasionally, we assist the drug unit. Um, we, yeah, mostly investigations. Yeah. So you um, see a lot, too. I do see a lot. Yeah. So we're going to get in and talk about that, like yeah. what you see every day, because you, you, even though you're, you know, you're into peer support, right? You also see stuff. Yes. Right. So we want to get in and talk about your own experience of that too. Eddie, do you want to share? Yeah, sure. Um, mine's not as exciting as Christine's. Um, I've been <laughs> in patr- I've been in patrol for my career, which I love. Um, I sp- I spent most of my time on the midnight shift. Uh, transitioned to a couple years on the day shift. Uh, was an FTO, uh, field training officer, for a little while. And then about five years ago, I went inside as an admin. I'm currently working in the personnel department, handle the scheduling, the overtime details, things like that, Mm. which was a nice transition for school. Um, It gave me much more time to be able to study, do homework, and things like that. So so I wasn't on the road as much. With school done now, getting on the road, I'm doing, like, I'll do the overtime shifts and things like that to get back on the road and, and try to keep my hand in the game. Yeah, sort of keeping yourself fresh with what's happening now and out there, right, rather than yeah, sitting exactly. in the office. Yeah, it's a perishable skill. It's a perishable skill, so trying to stay out there and keep current. Yeah, absolutely, I hear that. So let's get into, like, um, you know, some of this stuff over the years. Um, 
like you're Christine, um, you know, 25 years. Yes. Like, you know, we've talked in many, many of our interviews with other, you know, officers, fire, who, whoever they are, whether they're EMS, but you're a first responder, right? Um, you see a lot over the years. How do, how do you handle that? And is there, you know, have you experienced some, some of that type of stuff where maybe it didn't sit well with you at points? Or how do you handle it? How do you handle all of that stuff over so the years? It's changed over the years how I handle it. Um, I, I feel like my education has helped me significantly. But yeah. prior to that, I feel like um, getting involved in peer support, how I got there, helped me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's changed where before, when I first started the job, yeah. we were to respond to a sudden death or a fatal accident. It was kind of, <clears throat> afterwards, we would meet up. If we were on the midnight shift, we would meet in the morning with our shift and get a drink, talk about it, yeah. and kind of just push it down and move on. That's what, you know, you had to, you had to have thick skin yeah. and keep moving. Yeah. Um, but I've learned uh, over the years you can't sustain a healthy career by doing that. And yeah. You never know when something's going to bubble up yeah absolutely you know we've heard like you know packing things and in, in, in putting that rock in the backpack yes, right yes. and or i've heard like another phrase like um you know a compactor like a trash compactor like sure. it's you're compacting it down you're compacting it down and before you know it, it's gonna overflow right right and that compactor and it's funny with different incidents it could be you you can't choose you think it might be the most significant incident maybe it's a murder that you think that's going to impact you the most. But it could be a domestic, an accident, something that you might not think is mm. significant. You can't predict what's going to affect you. Yeah. So when you when you said that, like, you know, if if you were on a call um, and then, like, you'd meet the next morning to, like, like debrief, was that, was that like, what you debriefed with? Yeah, like, kind of. How, how do you, like... So it was, like, it, like, informal, like, with our shift years ago. We were all friends on the yeah. night shift, and we would meet and have a few drinks... Yeah, and then everyone would kind of—it wasn't really a debriefing. Everyone would kind of talk about it. You'd have what you call dark humor to try to like, and nothing was funny about it. Like yeah, anyone had heard the conversations, yeah. especially the public. It's not yeah. appropriate, but that's that was how we coped with things at the time. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So things have changed significantly from the time that I started the job until now. Yeah, where my department we're, we're really lucky because. They've given us the autonomy to be to do the peer support in yeah. addition to our jobs. Yeah. So we How amazing cover 48 is that? cities and towns, Ed wow. and I do, and so um, we're out there. And you know, my department's really good as far as if there's a critical incident or a peer issue, like they notify us right away and, and we take care of it. Whether it's a diffusing, debriefing, or on the peer side, we offer different services as well. Wow. So it's it's we make this a practice. So I feel like we're come a long way yeah absolutely goes. i love that um but can i just go back to that little sure. part that where you were like you know you're meeting up with your shift right yes. so even if you were meeting up with your shift and as you said like dark humor to get like get over it right mm-hmm. i mean we've talked about that ourselves right you know jay and in, in the fire department um but still not being able to to come out and say yourself no oh, i'm not feeling good about this I this is and this could be even weeks after you know what I mean um yeah if there was a critical incident or there was something that you're you're all sort of discussing but then 
weeks after you're still sort of feeling it. Um, yeah, and not being able to talk about it, which appears I'm still, others seem to have moved on, maybe, yes. right, outwardly, um, might have moved on from it, but it's sitting with the with others. Have you noticed that? Like, Eddie, oh, yeah, I see you nodding, you want to chime in. You want to you chime in with, yeah, on what Christine is saying? I think <clears throat> what Christ, Christine said about choir practice or meeting after the call with the shift mm. um, and discussing and having the dark humor, I think that was uh, universal in the first responder field mm. because there was no formal debriefing, diffusing. There was no, hey, you know, if you're feeling something, give this phone number a call, you can speak with somebody. It was kind of like, we're going to take care of ourselves. And I think everybody tried to do the best they could. We just didn't have the resources, mm. didn't have the education, didn't have the background. Yeah. So I think when you would go out and you discuss it with, with your your shift like you said people are going to recover in different different ways and different times yeah nobody's going to recover the same and that's whether you're getting professional help or whether you're doing you know just um talking to the shift yeah and like you said when you see somebody seem to get better and you're not feeling well well that that just piles on again Yes. Something's wrong with me. Yeah. Because everybody else is feeling better. Why the heck am I not able to right. move? What's wrong with me? Right, exactly. Why the heck can I feel it? And then it even makes you even want to stuff it down more right. because I don't want to let them know that I'm not feeling good yeah. over this. So now you isolate and you're not talking about it. That's going to carry on not just from your shift and your, your um, working at the department. It's going to carry over, you know, coming home mm. because you're not going to want to talk about it with your significant other or your family because, again, you think you're broken. You think something's wrong with me. I can't handle this, everybody else can, mm. when that's clearly not the case. Mm. But back in the day, that's kind of how I think a lot of people felt yeah. after critical incidents. Yeah. Have you ever felt like that both yourselves after incidents? Like saying, what the heck is wrong with me? I'm not, and this is sitting with me. This is not sitting with me well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So how did it eventually, were you able to deal with that stuff? It, well, it, different incidents, different times in yeah. my career, different ways, um, I mean, I was first exposed to peer support after an injury, mm-hmm. That's where, and so I received services through them. When yeah. I was in the Boston Medical Center. Yeah. Um, and that was my first exposure to peer support. Um, and then after that, we, um, we've had two suicides within our department. Yeah. And we received, as a department as a whole, services after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So different, uh, different incidents. We didn't receive anything yeah. over the years. So, how do you f- how did you feel? You said you had an injury, but then you uh, you know you, that was your first sort of exposure to peer support. What did that feel like to you, to be able to talk to someone with no judgment, or did it feel that way? So it's funny. It was a, f- a kind of a crazy time in my life. Uh, my kids were very small, and um, you know I had gone to work had an injury, got transported to Boston Medical. Mm. After surgery the next day, they came in, and I was kind of, to be quite honest, reluctant because I was like, I don't need this. You mm. know what I mean? That was the way back then. That was my first exposure. I need to be to tough. To support. And I was, was like, it, was I'm going to be, yes. I, I need to be tough. I am not talking to anyone. Yeah. And uh, to be quite honest, at the time, I had a lot going on. We, my one of my daughters was born with a medical condition, so we were planning a fundraiser mm. for medical research for our doctor. I mean, I, we just had a lot going on. My mm. husband and I were on different shifts, um, mm. you know, caring for our children back yeah. and forth, and, yeah. and then this happens. And, and I, I was so reluctant, um, but I did. I was out of work for 22 months, 
And um, I went and received services for them. Yeah. Um, I did. They came back a second time, which I'm glad they did because I would have blown it off. That's key. It is. Key right there. I want listeners to hear that and, and, and for all you first responders out there, you know, let them come back a second time. Let them come back a second time because you just might not be ready to open up the first time. Like as Christine said, you know, you were reluctant to talk. And I'm sure maybe being a female police officer came into play in your head too. You know, I've heard it from, from other female officers. And so like I had to work harder yes. to be respected, right, or to, to, to want to further my career. Um, so I'm sure you probably felt it too as a female, I, you know. I did. I wanted to. I didn't want to show any weakness, and I yeah. felt like I would not. I would do anything I could to work harder, yeah, be stronger, and do whatever I could to not show weakness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I love that you're starting to saying that that they came back a second time. That that was the that was the key. Yeah, and I ended up receiving services through them, and that's actually how. I got into peer support after that. I never would have thought I would have done this. Yeah. Like, I was always a good listener with my friends yeah. unintentionally. Yeah. And, um, but I never, if you had asked me years ago, would I ever do this? I would have, I would have said no. No. No, I'm just going to mind my own business. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to mind my own business and do my own thing and, and do my job and go home yes. my, my, to my family at the end of the day. But again, Things change and evolve right over time, and and with your experience, you've learned that yes. it's it's needed. Um, I think that also, like for you, you know, when you said re- I was reluctant, and then you know I could start to see it in in your face when you were when you were saying you know, and they came back a second time, and I was glad they did. Um, it's sort of like for you to open up first off. I think you have to feel safe, right? Absolutely. Like safe, safe, right? Um, to want to open up to a peer, first of all, and then someone that you don't know because they're not going to get it, you know, they have to get to know a little bit about you, right? So they're not going to get to know you within, you know, 30 minutes, you know, I, about you. I completely agree with that. And I think I'm going to speak for myself, but I yeah. think a lot of peers that I know yeah. maybe have trust issues. I know I do. Like, yeah. It's really hard to trust people and. We laugh about this, Ed and I. Um, one of the best compliments that I received was someone got referred to speak to me. Mm-hmm. And b- without me even knowing it, people kept coming up saying, oh, this person's asking about you, if you're the real deal, if you're trustworthy. Like, so many people come up to me. I'm like, what is going on? And I kind of felt a little like, this is uh, what's going on here. But Am I being questioned? Tra- like, I is my it. is my trust being yes. questioned? Is my character but being actually questioned? I talk, after I talked to this person, I said, you know what? That it was so smart because I wouldn't trust anyone with my personal information. Yeah. And I respected the fact that he did that because, you know, in this profession, like, we're under a microscope right now. Yeah. With the current climate. And, yeah. you know, um, people do have trust issues. Yeah. And I think that, like, in one of our pre- previous, um, you know, um, interviewers like a, a female police officer in, in, in Quincy and she had said um, you know everyone freaking knows everyone's business excuse the expression Very true. Right. everyone's in everyone's business so if they're offered this it's like oh what the heck and blah 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 and they know so you know that's out of what I think also prevents a first responder and a police officer from going and seeking help because they don't want everyone in their business mm-hmm. you know what I mean and um yeah, so 
the trust definitely comes into into play. Are you trust, trustworthy? And again, someone has to feel because that's a that's a that's a, a sigh of I can exhale if I can talk to this person and just unload that backpack right and unload that rock in there and um and be able to start to share that burden that I'm carrying or many burdens I'm carrying from over the years. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I see Jay, he's sitting forward, so that means he wants to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, um, that this part of the conversation, if we're just talking in broad terms about mental health and first response, it's one of the most interesting um, components of it. We're, I think, working in first response uh, during a time where the transition's happening, right? So we can look back, and you guys had some really, I think, valuable insights on how different it was when we came on the job right. to to now. And, you know, we talk about choir practice and, and uh, other ways, like, you know, the, the human condition sort of, sort of, it's driven to do something, whether it's gallows humor or a few right. drinks after work, even if we don't know it on a surface level, uh, you know, those images from a scene or whatever it is, uh, has has people feel in a certain kind of way and and the resources hadn't yet developed around it so we just react and and uh and now we know that that there's that there's a better way um i also think that it's really interesting that they came back a second time and that's when you accepted help yeah that's that's awesome so I get, I'm wondering, Ed, how did you, was, was there a specific incident or was there, what happened to cause you um, to sort of become involved with peer support and take yeah. it on as a passion? Yeah, so my, the first exposure I had to peer support was uh, I went to a SIDS call, sudden infant death um, call, which it was traumatic, it was a difficult call, but I was kind of like, all right, that's, in my mind, I'm like, that's part of the job. Um, about an hour after we cleared the call, a detective came up to me and he was on the peer support team. I didn't know it at the time. And just wanted to check in with me and see how I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. Mm. Like, so I come to learn that Weymouth had a few people on the Metro peer support team already. And so that was in my head. I knew it was there. Um, fast forward a couple of years. And um, on a February night, I was involved in an officer-involved shooting, a fatal shooting. And um, so immediately after the scene was safe, um, and that me and my partners and, and the rest of the, the, the shift had everything somewhat under control. You get packaged into the ambulance to go to the hospital, just standard operating procedure. Mm. So you're giving your gun back to the sergeant, you're taking all your gear off, you're just heading, heading in for a checkup. Um, when I got to the hospital, um, the first people that met with me were um, Chief Grimes, Captain Concannon, who was the XO, and two representatives from Metro Peer Support. So the chief just asked, are you okay? I don't need to know anything. I don't want to hear anything. I just need to know you're okay. Mm. That was it. That's all the administrators had asked. Then they said, listen to these two. They're going to help you out. So, you know, within a couple of hours, I was already being, you know, peer support was already involved. Like they mm. were there. They were talking to me. They were kind of letting me know, here's what you might be experiencing. Here's what you might expect. If there's any questions, if we don't know the answers, we're going to find the answers for you. So that was day one, or night one. And then the next day I got a call from Sergeant Rob Regan, who was one of the team leaders uh, for Metro Peer Support. On I my, know. We know yeah, Rob. We know Rob. Yeah. Uh, everybody we know Rob. knows Rob. <laughs> the, the funniest guy That's in awesome. the house. <laughs> but he was also on my job, and he gave me a call and said, okay, what do you need? This is what you can expect. This is what we can do, et cetera, et cetera. And that 
lasted for the duration of the time I was out, which was probably about six weeks that I was out. And um, there probably wasn't a day that they either didn't text or just called to check up. They would, you know, they, they're not trying to bother me. Yeah. They're just saying, hey, how you doing today? You need anything? Okay, if you don't, great. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. Um, so peer support for me um, was, it was pretty influential. Like, I didn't expect that. Yeah. Because when I was in the ambulance going to the uh, hospital, the only thing I was thinking is what's next? What's going to happen? Mm. Like, I know what happened in the past. I know what we did. Yeah. Now, you know, it was it was the beginning of law enforcement coming under the microscope for their actions. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the new thing, and it, it was very stressful. And when I got to the hospital, they kind of took that stress away, and they were able to calm me down and, you know, give me a perspective to look at that was positive rather than go negative, which I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love that you're sort of saying that, that, you know, peer support was brought in right away right. and that they were, you know, calling you. I'm wondering, like, I just, my, my, when you were speaking, my head was started going back to an interview with, with Dave Del Papa mm-hmm. um, from, he was in Braintree PD, he's now chief in, in yes. Abington, and we love him. Um, but I remember him saying, like, you know, he was involved in an incident and um, he, he had a sergeant, he was lucky enough to have a sergeant to say the next day, you know, right. hey, are you, are, you, are you okay? And he was like, yeah, I am, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. But he said, I really wasn't. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of the times we, we can also say that, like, yeah, I'm fine. Right. And, um, and then it sort of comes out in different ways where maybe, you know, you're, you're not interacting with other officers and stuff like that, you know, the way it would normally be, right? Um, but he said, yeah, I, I, you know, I said, yeah, like what I was sort of trained to do, like, especially in the academy or, or, and just coming out of the academy, you know, you don't show any sign of weakness, Right. no, right. Exactly. no weakness, Yeah. do not show any sign of weakness. So I wasn't going to show any sign right. of weakness to my sergeant who was asking me. And he said, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen if I did say, yeah. um, no, that didn't sit well on me. Right. You know what I mean? And um, so, yeah, I sort of, when I, when I sort of hear that, like after, you, when you, you mentioned about the SIDSTAT and, right. and that was your first experience with peer support. Right. Can I get into that a little bit with you? Sure, absolutely. Like, how are you feeling, like, after that? What does that mean? I know you, you're sort of just say, like, vaguely said, you know, yeah. uh, that was my first experience, but right. what I, was your feeling? Like, what were you going through yeah. that, you had an interaction with that. Yeah, and I've had, I think, um, three SIDS over the course of my career, and none of them are easy. And I will say that the SIDS calls impact me more than the shooting. The shooting I was trained for, I understood what I needed to do. It was black and white. There was no question. Yeah. Um, they talk about SIDS deaths in the academy, but... And they, they, te- they, yeah. can't, they can't show you they any reality, right? right, until you're actually out there. Yeah, yeah. I remember for that Sid's death, that was probably my second or third. Um, all I remember, you know, I was the first on scene doing CPR with the baby, and all I remember was the mother screaming. And that's what I remember to this day. And I know the address, and I know what his name was, um, but all I remember is the mom screaming. And um, so I definitely wasn't feeling good when I left that call, um, so I was really happy, and uh, it was Detective Tom Anderson who um, who uh, came up to me afterwards and wanted to speak with me. And uh, it was just kind of like, I don't think, we, we didn't get into a lot of it, 
because yeah. I think I was still processing it. Yeah. But I at least knew that it's okay. Like he said, it's okay to feel bad. Like yeah. he, he normalized the situation for me. Yeah. And said, you probably don't feel well. You probably feel bad. Here are some symptoms you might have over the next couple of days. And if you're feeling those in the next week or so, come and talk to me. We'll, we'll figure something out. Yeah. But he, like in a very quick couple minutes, normalized it for me. Um, because yeah, it was sort of the end of the shift and I was in a park, I went to a parking lot and just sat there. Yeah. And like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. It's kind of like, that just, and then I had to go to a wedding that afternoon and like, that's when. I was going to say you're shitting me, but I did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's when the, the, the population who are not first responders don't understand, like you're carrying that with you for the day. And they're like, well, what's going on? Why are you in a bad mood? And I'm like, I'm not in a bad mood. And I wouldn't say anything to him. I wouldn't explain what happened. But I was just like, ah, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, I just dealt with a poor child who passed away and now was celebrating a wedding, which I think a lot of people expect or they see on TV what fire, EMS, and police do, and they get it from TV and movies, and they expect everything to be okay. Yeah. And yeah. They, they don't recognize it takes time and talking and maybe some help to get you over that hump after a call like that. Yeah, and that's so important to get that message. Oh, I love that you have to say that because um, it is important. You're human. Right, exactly. Right? And I think that also, again, I'm just referring back, I'm going back to other even interviews, like where a, a fireman, Eddie, or who was it, Freddie? It was Freddie from, from Braintree right. Fire. Oh, yep. um, Freddie Viola, and he had said that, um, you know, he remembers the mother's wail in the driveway um, and that s- sits with him, right. you know, still even to this day. Yep. Um, but yeah, the difference is, is that like the fire department, they can go back and they can, what they refer to as the kitchen table and they can talk sure. about it, whether, whether it be with joking or whatever it might be or the gallows humour as, as you talked about, um, but at least they start to sit in there. But you, you had to go and sit in your cruiser. Yeah, it was, you're, you're back like on the it. next call. You're waiting for the next call. You're kind of sitting there by yourself, and that's why, like, I didn't think that that was my first introduction to peer support until after the fact when I became involved. But that really was because I was sitting in a parking lot. I know exactly where it was. I know what time it was, and I'm just and I was listening to the radio, and I'm like, "Don't call me. Don't give me a call. Like, let me just sweat this out for the rest of the." The hour left on the shift. Don't I need a minute. I just need, need yeah. a minute. Don't give me a call. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. You know. So. Don't give me a call. Yeah, don't give me the call. And you had to go to a wedding. And I had to go to a wedding that afternoon, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I functioned. I was, you know, I got through it, but it was yeah. like, you know, you're trying to be, ha- it's such a happy occasion. Yeah. But. How can you be happy? How can you be happy? You, you, yeah. Like I said, I, I was. How I can heard, you be? I heard mom screaming and I had, I can picture, his name was Joey. Mm-hmm. Picture him in my arms, and yeah, you know, and I think EMS and fire were probably there in thirty seconds, but it felt like thirty, you know, a day, yeah, and all that. So I remember talking to a lot of Weymouth fire guys um, afterwards and stuff, and same thing. They're like, "Yeah, it's the worst, worst call you can go to. Yeah, or one of the worst you can go to. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Jay has referred to that type of thing, right? Not feeling good, and then going to soccer, you know, practice. Yes, I have. And, and I think the example that you just gave really, really illustrates it well, like that emotional spectrum and right. the fact that uh, it is normal, that that's not normal right. to go from one extreme to the other, to be at a wedding or to be at a, a kid's sporting yep. event. And, to, you know, and other people, they don't necessarily perceive us 
uh, in a way that's, that's, that accurately reflects what's really going on right. with us. Right. Um, and, you know, baby call, that's one of my calls yep. too, not a SIDS, but it, it was an accident, but it was, that was a call that I carried. And then when I had children of my own, that's right. when it, you yep. know, began to, to come up yep. in me. Um, but I think, I think, um, you know, you mentioned somebody normalizing it for right. you. And that's so important because when you explain it the way that you just did, where this is where I was and, and now I'm at a wedding and, I'm, you know, it might be a self-expectation, but wherever it comes from, I'm expected to be in this wedding mode. Right. And, uh, you know, the human condition says otherwise. Right. Um, and, and that's a big part of it. And making that normal right. and understood within our culture, I think, could go a long way to overcoming the stigma right. to where we understand uh, that we are going to have, you, we're going to feel some type of way sometimes, and not only is it okay, but it, but it's it's normal. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I know earlier, Kristen, you mentioned there, w- there was a few suicides during during your time um, on the Braintree Police Department, and you know, uh, Linda, you brought up uh, Chief Del Papa when when he was an officer in Braintree, how he just said, you know, I'm I'm fine because of, I mean, that's that stigma right there, right? That's in reality, if we talk about it, like you just had the loss of, of a coworker to suicide, would it be healthy to, uh, you know, to, to deal with that in some type of way? By all, any and all logic and reason, of course that will lead to a better outcome. But it's all the suck it up and drive on and you're going to see more of that kid and all that stuff that uh, it takes us beyond the decision. That's, that's with, a, with a stigma. Um, comes in and I, I applaud both of you for all you're doing in, in this culture and community to overcome that stigma I'm wondering if either one of you have an answer for what that word means to you what is stigma and uh, if you have thoughts on how we overcome it or how we impact the first responder culture in a way that minimizes it um, love to hear that I mean I think there's a stigma in this job um, to receive services after an incident, we're expected to acclimate into normalcy. And um, that's the expectation that people have for us. I mean, we're supposed to, like we talked about before, not show weakness. Yeah. So I think that's um, a big hurdle to overcome. Um, we ha- we have been working on that with in peer support when we respond to things. We explain about communication skills, especially with loved ones, mm. letting them know, like, you don't have to give details about an incident but have, have your support system, whether it's a friend or family member at home, have them be the one that can advocate for you, you know, with the wedding, with the situation like Ed was talking about, yeah. you know, or a family event or whatever. They can be like, if th- someone says, oh, Ed just doesn't look right or whatever, they can explain he's had a bad day yes. to kind of take the pressure off of you. Yes. And I f- feel like communication is everything yeah. in this job, and I, f- I think we're getting better at that. Yeah. But there's still a lot of work to do, for sure. Yeah, and police officers especially are very, very good at hiding things. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Very good at hiding. I mean, in all force response, um, not taken away from, like, fire or EMS. I think they're all good um, at hiding um, really what's going on. Yes. And that's part of, that's our own self. I'm not saying our own because I'm not a force responder, but that's self-imposed stigma. It, right. It's self-imposed and yeah. and being afraid of judgment of co from coworkers. Yeah. yeah, being judged. I mean, it's it's the culture. Um, everyone, you know, 
gets talked about the minute they leave the room. Yeah. You're lucky if you have, like, a small group of people that you can trust. Yeah. Everyone's trying to move and climb and, and be better. Mm-hmm. And um, someone said this to me <laughs> before. They're like, wow, we really hurt each other in this career along the way. Yeah. But, man, if something happens, we give them the best send-off. And that really stuck with me because I, th- I feel like we can be better with each other and be more supportive and wow. be a friend. Yeah. That was powerful for me to hear. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of truth uh, in it. It's powerful me. I'm just like processing just what you said. And I'm like, whoa, that was like a very big statement there. Like, yeah, we, we oh give them, but we give them a big send off. But we, Co-workers we said really, that to me. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, oh, I would love today to come and I'm just like throwing it out there to everybody, who, whatever department or whatever, you know, agency you work for in departments. I would love just someone, because that's all it's going to take, is just someone to have the guts or the strength to be in that room. And, you know, when you know they're probably going to be talking about about somebody, right? I'd love somebody to be just able to be in that room and say, I don't give a damn if you're going to be talking about me when I leave the room, because you know what? I'm, I'm a leader here. I'm going to get in help. Yes. And you know what? My family are not going to be hurting anymore because I'm receiving help. If, if I'm getting help and I'm getting well, well, then my family are also going to be well and we're going to be healthy all together. But you can do what you want to do and talk about whoever you want. And I would just, oh, that would be like so empowering. Right. Um, because not only are you, you feeling now the strength of that, right, that's coming from you, but also you're empowering others to say, she's after saying that or he's after saying that well then well i'm going to do it too because i don't care either i don't give a damn what you're going to say i'm i'm here to do a good job and i'm going to retire healthy right right? i'm going to retire healthy i'm not going to have all this baggage that i still have to unload when i retire and and struggle after that you know it's 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 going to take just one Right. You know what I mean? Want to start off, but oh man, I, I agree with you. Like we take this job, right? Don't we take this job? Yeah, Most everyone. That's what they say. That's what we say in our interview to help people. Yeah. Yes, I genuine. Be- I genuinely believe. Yeah, that most, if not all, people they do that. They want to take this job because we want to help people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what about each other along the way? Yeah. Right. What about like being kind to each other? Yes, absolutely. And again, it's just that disconnect of within, right, the departments. And that's why we're here. That's why we're called Hopi on the Badge is because we want to make it easier for first responders to be able to talk within our departments, to make it a normal to talk because it's not normal, right? And it's not a normal thing. Is it getting better? Yeah, right? Especially, you know, when I hear, like, both your departments. And and I'm going to put it out there from what you both say about your departments it's it's you know amazing that they both seem ahead of the game right and we want to inspire other departments like yours to be able to to have that support within the department if needed but man even within those departments there still needs to be that tough cookie to say (laughs) i don't care what you're going to say behind my back yeah. You know, because you're tough, right, uh, as it is. I don't care what you're going to say. You can say all you want. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm a leader. And I know that can happen because, like, in my department, and I, and I know for Brangie, but I'll let Christine speak yeah. about that, we're well-versed in debriefings, diffusings. 
we've yeah. plaintiff has is not shy about calling them, you know, calling and doing them. Yeah. Um, they will constantly the line supervisors constantly check in with their with their um, shift. If there's been a difficult call, they'll come to me and say, "Hey, this was you know this is what we had. I don't know what you think. Um, maybe you, should, you can talk to a couple people, or maybe we should do something more formal." Yeah. Um, and we'll have officers now in my department will come up and say, "Hey, so and so had a bad call." I love that. Get, yeah. So we're very well versed, and again, I'll give Chief Grimes, uh, former Chief Grimes, and uh, current Chief Fuller uh, credit because they've had no problem putting mental health first and understanding uh. that that it's it's if you work on it, it keeps officers healthy, keeps them productive, and it keeps them on the job. Yeah, and, and they recognize that. Yeah, and and also, you know, isn't it beneficial? Like what we were talking about, like other officers, you know, help, as Christine said, you know, helping each other, being nicer to each other, be kinder to each other, right within our departments. You know, don't you want your partner to be healthy? Yes, you know, a hundred percent. Your backup guy, right? Your backup person. You want all of your, you know, your officers are out there that you're going to be working with, right? You want them all to be healthy beside you. Your your backup person, right? You want them to be healthy. So if you see something, say something, right? And and bring it to say, hey, I'm just sort of noticing something about you. Um, that's a little bit different. Do you okay? You want to talk about it? I'm here. If you just need to talk, and just might plant a little seed too. Right. So to. To think about all of that, my gosh, I mean, yeah, there's still so much room right. for improvement. Yes. You know, there is Definitely. still so much more room for improvement. Christine, I want to get into those suicides a little bit with you okay. in the department. Like, um, not in specific about, you know, those, you know, the people who, who died, but there were police officers who, yes. who died by suicide. Yes. Um, I don't use to like to, I don't like to use the word commit. Um, so I can mm. touch upon that a little bit, yeah. which this is good news yeah. uh, about suicide. Yeah. Um, through our education, one of the professors, Dr. Bender uh, and Dr. Freeberg, they run the program that we were in, and they have been very supportive because we were adult students actually going back to school and as police officers, yeah. and we told them our mission, what we wanted to do, and they actually, um, Dr. Bender helped change our media reporting policy in our department in 2019 and changed how we said we don't use the word commit yeah died by suicide yeah suicide survivor so mm-hmm. we've, we've been able to educate and change the language within our department i love is, that yes and yeah. i think that's so important because i i feel like i wouldn't have known that had i not gone back to school even yeah. though i've responded to so many suicides over the years mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have known to change the language. And yeah. so I think little by little, just making these positive changes yeah. because it is offensive to people. Yeah, and, and start to cho- just start to choose a word, uh, just one word, right? Taking that yes. one word, a commit out of it. And, you know, someone who is, um, I believe, you know, wanting to end their pain, um, they don't, they're not thinking with a rational mind, for sure. So um, someone with a rational mind would, make a commitment right to do something like I'm I'm committing to disappointment that I'm making you know that's a strong thing but I just feel that uh, you know officers and and first response um you know dying by suicide I really don't I feel like they don't want to die they just want to end their pain you know they they can't go through that um and some might be impulses you know an impulse moment um and others not um, 
we don't know, you know. But I, I don't like to use the word commit. So I'm glad that your your department and, and, and whoever else is involved, thank you for doing that because um the department's been great yeah. with the peer support yeah. and supportive and investing in the officers. Yeah, absolutely. They know we need to sustain a long yeah. career. So Yeah. Do you think like in those um you know, those two suicides within the department, you know, when you when you're thinking back, right? Um, you know, was the department prepared for first one and then then another one like after like like what do you do you know what I mean no I I don't think we were prepared for it um the first one was my boss Mm. um and your boss yes okay wow so close very close we we, our shift was so close yeah and um yeah we were not ready for that at all he was our leader Mm. we never saw that coming yeah how did it, how did it affect you after losing him? Um, I still think about him all the time. Yeah, and it's okay to I think still, about him. Um, I know his family. Um, he has a wonderful family. Yeah. Um, but it was such a loss for us. Yeah. How did the department was able to handle it after after like in support of the officers? Right, the whole department so was going through a loss. So that was back. When we um, we didn't have our unit at the time, so we had the Boston Police Peer Support yeah. unit come in and do like a department to briefing. Yeah, um, I found that it was helpful, mm. um, and since then we've done a lot of brief to briefings for other departments. Yeah, um, yeah, that have gone through the same thing. Yeah, so, but it was, and then there was another one after yes, that, that, right? I actually, a coworker. Yeah, um, that I actually had to respond to that. Yeah, wow. And then, then I'm being able to deal with those two, like within your department, and then having to respond to that call. It's yeah. and I think, it's it's different. Um, it's different than I've responded to so many suicides over the years. Yeah. Um, but it's different when it's personal. Mm-hmm. When you have a relationship with that person. Yeah. And you know, because I feel like, you when you respond to a suicide for me anyway, when I respond to someone's home. Um, I respond to numerous suicides yeah. I have this year, you know, yeah. all the time. And I'm able to have empathy. I'm able to compartmentalize my feelings and emotions mm. so that I can have empathy for the family, assist if needed, mm. you know, and be there for them and kind of switch gears. But it's it's completely different when it's personal to you. Well, yeah, I know. I, I know that. I can relate with that too. Um, I think that, you know, getting into you know how the department like responds I think a lot of times when when there's lack of support maybe even for the family you know that departments just don't know what to do um and how to be able to handle certain situations you know um I just I just know from our own experience there was no call from the department you know and and it was it was a negative you know in a negative um an unhealthy department put it that way i'm I'm not going to say anything sort of i don't want to be in a negative way because that's not but i want to educate people that it's you know important to understand that it's different right. if it's a line of duty death um and how you get treated as a family um versus a suicide and, and a police officer who served the community mm-hmm. you know and um you know not even getting a call say sorry for your loss it's you know, Alex's peers did right. and still do are very, very close w- with our family. And, um, 
but yeah, it's sort of like different, like how how the department even handled, um, you know, support for the officers who are Alex's buddies, you know, in Abington at the time and how they handled that afterwards. Right. Um, I mean, there's still some of that go- those guys still struggle five sure. years later, oh, you know, do. down the road. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I know that because I have conversations um, with them. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I can see that you were sort of a little bit emotional there, you know, talking about your boss. And um, I was just sort of wondering, like, how departments, like, could, you know, improve um, on being able to handle, first of all, I mean, how, how could you ever be prepared, right, within a department? And, and also, like, I'm sure, like, survivor's guilt, did I not know something? Did I... Was there something I missed that I should have picked up on? I'm a police officer. I should see those signs and all of that type of stuff. And, um, yeah, I just know as a suicide loss survivor um, that there is improve- there could be improvement within departments. And some departments are really, really good at providing help for families and support and resources for families and also for the officers within there. And then there's other departments that suck, mm-hmm. you know, just yep. haven't got a clue. And... Um, and I'm not willing to learn to say, maybe, you know what, we've never been through this before. We don't know, but we're going to find out and we're going to get the help. That would have been meant a lot to our family. Right. Um, but that did never happen. You know what I mean? I'm so sorry. Thank you. I just want to say one thing. I'm sorry for your loss. And Thank you. I'm sorry that that happened to you and that you were treated like that. Mm. And I really appreciate all the work that you're doing oh, in his thank honor. You. Like, it's unbelievable thank you well we're really grateful well all that energy uh, you know there's a lot of anger that has left me i have to work through a lot of anger and sadness and healing you know myself and i'm still healing every day um but the thing is thank you for christine for saying that um but i'd rather turn my energy into something positive because i know there's other first responders out there struggling and uh, you know, an example I'm you're setting for everyone. Oh, else. thank you, thank you. I mean, uh, not only me, it's but Jay. It's yeah. the it's the whole anybody that's involved, even with the Alex Chikakoris Memorial Fund, you know, and the things that we are going to do that is not even out there yet, right? We haven't even talked about it. So, um, but there's lots and lots and lots of really, really good positive stuff happening, and and that's where I prefer to put my energy yeah. into into. Well, if I don't like what what happened. Well, then, instead of just complaining about it, well, then do something about it. Yeah. And, and this is the way, is to make it easier, is to talk about it. And that's what we need, organizations like your podcast or um, Back the Blue or Bl- Blue Help. Yeah. I think we have to start to recognize that it's a line of duty death. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. is. The, the, the amount of things that the first responder sees, the amount of things that they go through, um, you know, that affects that person. Yeah. And I think, you know, I know there's the, you know, it, nobody wants to talk about it yeah. or there's an embarrassment with it or something like that. Mm. What I think now we have to recognize is, you know what, that's a line of duty death. Yeah. And it should be treated that way. And yeah. the family should be taken care of. Yeah. And the department has to be, you know, looked at and taken care of. Um, yeah. It shouldn't be something that we shy away from and hide. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So. And even just even, uh, you know, honouring and, and the funeral, right. there shouldn't even ever be a discussion of, do we wear white gloves right. at this funeral right. compared to another? There shouldn't be. Yeah, no. You no. know? No, it should be treated the it same. It should never even be a discussion, right. which is very, you know, 
hurtful. Right. Of course. Um, yep. Very, very hurtful to a family um, who's uh, lost, and then they might attend another funeral of a, right. of a first responder, and they see all very, very right. different. Um, there should never even be that discussion no. um, of do we wear gloves. Right, right. Never. Um, so, yeah, those those things need to change. Yes, absolutely. And, and th- those might be little things, but they're big things. Right. They're big absolutely. things. Absolutely. To a family who's absolutely. struggling and hurting. You know what I mean? I'm grieving. Right. And it's Um, not going to hurt anyone to change that. No. It's only going to help people and support people. Right. It's not going to take a lot to change that. No, absolutely. And, and I, I, you know, I get, I get all of those. And that's just ignorance too. Of We don't know what to do. Right. But Mm. it's just going to take one good leader in a department to say, no, this is, this is, we're going to do right. Right. By this officer or this fireman, right, or, or whoever it is, we're going to do right by this officer and we're going to do right by the family also and, and give their loved one uh, a send-off yes. like they deserve. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Metrolec, right, and, and getting into your Metrolec and your schooling and what you do and what's you talked about services, what services you offer. Get into that with us sure. okay. and explain it, like, First of all, I, I want to know, what does Metrolec mean? Um, because there is other people like me, civilians, right, right, that are on here listening, someone that loves a first responder. And they want to know what Metrolec means, but also um, what services you do. And you have said 48 cities? Yes. We that cover 48 cities and towns. 48 cities and towns that you, you're leaders in? Yes. Tell us, share with us, what does Metrolec mean? Um, to somebody, and uh, yeah, breaking down is paid to be support, but what does the wording mean? So it's um, Metropolitan Law Enforcement Council. Okay. And um, we cover, our team covers, we are one of many teams um, within Metrolec. Yeah. There's a SWAT team. Um, there's various other teams, but the peer support, the SISM peer support team. SISM is critical in incident stress management. Peer support, there's two sides to our team. Yeah. But we are part of Metrolec. We're like a team within Metrolec, yeah. which covers 48 cities and towns. Yeah. Um, so there's two sides of the team. Um, we get activated um, a couple of ways. Um, for a critical incident, say there's a shooting or it could be a fatal accident, it could be various different incidents, and incidents are different with each city or town. So what might be critical to one city or town might not be to another. Like it depends. I mean, it could be What's critical to Braintree, we're, we're very busy. Mm. might not be critical to a town that's a smaller town and doesn't have the call volume that we have. Yeah. So it, it's different. So we could get called to something in another city or town where Braintree wouldn't call. So it all depends within their department. Yeah. It's activated. The chief of the department or his designee contacts us um, right after the incident, and we either respond right away for defusing um, which we go and we meet with the first responders, the officers, or um, first responders that are, were involved. Is this like on the still on the scene? No, like, no. We, we typically, most likely, we meet back at the station or another designated location. But yeah. typically, they're re- they're finished with the scene and, and we wait for them after yeah. and try to help normalize some of the symptoms and feelings that they're feeling at the time and give them like an education psychoed piece on what they might experience in the near future the yeah. next couple of days um after that um 
depending on the incident and how well the diffusing goes, um, we would have a more formalized debriefing, which is a seven-stage debriefing, and we have a clinician there too um, that does the teaching phase, which is the last phase. Mm-hmm. Um, on that side of the team, um, the critical incident side, we are also called for various things. Another thing we do is grief debriefings. We've done grief debriefings for um, offices that have died by suicide mm-hmm. um, for large departments, um, having the whole department there. So we've done that, quite a few of those. So just hold that for a second. So you you can go in now and do grief debriefing yes. with departments yes. Yes. for an officer who's died by suicide, yes. where that wasn't available to you. No. Wow, so it's big. What we do, and an, another team, um, we work with another team too, because we a lot of times we pool our resources together. We have a great relationship with Semlock, and um, on one of our grief debriefings that we did, um, a stage was added at the end um, to kind of, it was an office that had died by suicide, and there was a, a, an, a stage at the end that was added where everyone in the department was able to tell a story or something memorable about the officer, wow. which really helped. It helped each other. It could mm. be like anything, a funny story, something meaningful, mm. anything that they remember about that person. Wow. So, um, we've wow. done a, we've done quite a few of those, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side of the team is uh, the peer support side, which is the the busier side. We get numerous calls daily on that. Um, we've had, and that could be a peer one on one, a referral to a clinician, inpatient or outpatient. Mm. Um, to this day, I did our stats because we are the busiest team. We've had over six hundred and seven since the end of. 607 calls since the end of August. For Peer calls for Peer one-on-ones. Calls. Yeah, one-on-one calls. Whoa. Yes. Just, just this year. Wow. So since the end of August? Since from since January to August. January to August. Wow. So, um, yeah, so we're really busy. We have 37 members on our team. 37. Mm-hmm. And, and they all do what you guys do. Yeah, yeah. Th- they haven't gone to school. Oh, <laughs> they, they haven't gone to school. They drew the, they drew the line at that. <laughs> they haven't <laughs> gone to school. Yeah. So they're, they're, awesome they're basically either police officer, or fire, or SWAT, or whoever is, and they're on your team. Yeah. And um, and they can also, because they've been in the culture, right, they're able to help others through that, or they have experience with. Yeah. Um, and, and they've received training, so anybody on the team has to have the GRINS training, which is the group and individual um, uh training yeah um so they all have to have that at a minimum our team requires a suicide training Mm -hmm. um drug and alcohol training which is also a voluntary veterans training um so they're at least we're all trained to the same stat status and um, we recently had a um training where we were able to bring in um dr nikki freeberg from bridgewater state to train everybody on how to get more comfortable doing a Mm one-on-one Because when you go out for a diffusing or a debriefing, it's a team that's going out. So obviously things are a lot easier when you're with somebody and you're yeah. able to kind of work with somebody. And you can bounce you off. You can bounce off, exactly. Yeah. And it's when you're asked to take that phone call from somebody who's having a hard time. That's when it's more uncomfortable. I'm not saying, it, like, everybody does it their own way, but it's, for me, it's more uncomfortable when I have to, you know, do yeah. that. Do it one-on-one, yeah. Yeah, so we were able to have uh, Professor Nikki Freeberg come in and give a... Um, 
you know, a whole training, a, a day-long training on, mm. you know, what to expect, what to do, you know, pros and cons, things like that. So mm. it was really good to get the team trained up. Yeah, well, uh, going back to the, like what Christine was talking about earlier on, like for someone to talk to someone and peer support, you have to feel safe. Yes. So like now you're on a call, you get a call, and as you said, oh, now initially I have to make this person comfortable. And 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 let them feel comfortable. Right, absolutely. Um, and and you might say, uh, and you're talking all the right words, but guess what? Your body language or your voice that's coming yes. over there might not be feeling that. Right. Guess what? They're gonna feel it. Exactly. And uh, and they're not gonna open up. Right. Um, no. the way they could. You another know, thing it's huge. Yeah. Another thing too is um with that training with um Dr. Nikki Freeberg and Dr. Ben Nurkiman and another. Um, classmate of ours, so it was awesome. We had it for 10 hours, but a big thing that she taught was active listening, which is really difficult, too, because a lot of times, like, if you're not used to that, you tend to, um, people tend to, like, talk about their experience. Yes. And, like, unintentionally. And overshare. Yes, overshare, and, Mm. like, unintentionally, it, it turns into them, which could make the person that you're talking about feel like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way, or they've been more... Um, through more than me so it was it's really good to where that's the busiest side of our team to get people trained up to you know be able to do some active listening and yeah. you know be able to prompt them a little bit but not make it about themselves right. yeah and I think I've been not being validated yes. right exactly. yeah and, and as first responders we're there to fix things yes off of support um, do what you know make them feel more comfortable yeah, and uh, try to normalize their situation and give them that support. We're not there to give. You're not the fixer at this point. You're not the so you, yeah. you have a different hat. You're not the fixer exactly. hat at, at this point exactly. at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, but so then you go out, you go out, and you you do the one on ones, and you get those calls based on or deployed. Is there? Do they call a deployment or activated? What do you call it? An activated deployed. call, deployed, deployed. and then. Um, is there a follow-up with those folks when needed or not? Because yes. a lot of times, I mean, share with us, like, in those situations, like, for instance, there's a, a critical incident after happening, and, you, you're, you know, you're deployed to maybe defuse or debrief, right? And then, um, then there might be someone in that group and, and and if you're trained right in in that area, you're gonna know if someone's you know, either not making eye contact, their head is down, or maybe they just start to swaying back and forth, wherever it might be. Um, you know, there's there's certain things that you will notice, um, or that you're trained to notice. But um, what about a couple of weeks later, like after that like incident? Like a lot of those folks that are involved in that incident are probably going to be affected that day right Right. or maybe the day after right but then what about a couple of weeks down the road or three months down the road is there follow-ups with those type of things is it is it you know a mandatory thing that you do follow up with them or maybe there was someone that you you noted or talked to and you said you know i'm gonna do that is there is there a procedure with that i know yeah i know so we typically talk to the team who responds. Yeah. Um, we pick the team that goes out. And if there's need for, they debrief, at the team that goes out debriefs after um, together. And if it's a debriefing and there's a clinician present, if not, there's a, 
a team of our peers yeah. um, there, but um, they talk amongst each other, and they assess the situation if there's a need for a follow-up, for sure. They provide their information. They provide our information. Mm. Um, we follow up with them to see if there's anyone that we need to take on um, to follow up with, but we, we cover all those bases. We try to not have, like, any loopholes in that. You know, we make sure... We debrief after we follow up with everyone that was there mm. and see we check in to see if that um, needs to be follow up after. Oh, I love that because it, it is important, right? Yes. I mean, as that girl that goes into Braintree, right, to do those trainings, she's a trauma specialist and she had said, you know, I don't want to see these people like the day after an incident. Right. I want to, I want to know are those people, that guy still struggling, you know three or four weeks after or six months after. I want to know what's going on there and, uh, and be able to help them out that way and, and work through what's, what's happening. If there was something that you would want to throw in there, like within your own departments, right? Suicide um, within first response um, is still numbers way up there. What would you like to see if there was something that was missing within departments? Like, where would you like to see departments go? And I know yours, is it's hard because your departments are already ahead of it. Right. But overall, in general, what would you like to see it change? Like, where would you like to see that happen, even if it was the smallest step in the right direction? I think one thing that would, would help is I think a lot of people are uncomfortable asking somebody if they're okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, like we tell a lot of people we know each other better than anybody else. So mm. we're going to recognize when yeah. somebody, you know, if somebody comes in spit and polish every day and then they come in looking like a bag of soup, yeah, you know, we're going to recognize that. And yeah. it's going to go off in our head. Something might be up. Um, but I think a lot of times we don't want to be that person to say something because mm-hmm. we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. Or they're going to tell you, mind your own business. Mind your own business, things like that. Mm. So I think educating everybody because the more people who know and can recognize and just reach out, like, like I know there was a story um, from a gentleman um, who died by suicide. He jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh. And they found the note where he's, he wrote on his note, if somebody smiles and says hello to me on my way to the bridge, I won't jump. I, yeah. Yeah. And it's like just somebody reaching out and just saying, hey, how you doing today? Yeah. That can make a difference. So I think getting everybody comfortable with that. Like, yeah. it's okay to reach out and say, Hey, are you okay? Yeah. How you doing today? Um, I just think that would go a long way. And like Christine was saying, like, be kind to each other. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know what I mean, if we're something like that, we're the eyes and ears of our peers, right? Yeah. Of our department. So, yeah. like Ed was saying, like if we see something, we know each other's baselines, right? Yeah. So if something's off, feeling comfortable with doing that. Another thing I was thinking of too is like the pre-incident education. We started that actually last year. Um, Weymouth started it, and then we brought it to Braintree because it was successful there with the new recruits. We educated, yeah, we had the, the them, new recruits. Them, and God love them, taking this job. And yeah. they, it's a completely different job. Yeah. So much respect for them. We have awesome new people that just started our mm. job within the last year and a half, two years. They're wonderful, and we're really lucky. And um, we're lucky that our department's supportive of the peer support, but... What we did was we had their families come in. We had a night with the new recruits and their families, and we talked to them uh, everything about um, finances, um, 
everything you might experience in your career, critical <laughs> incidents. Get goosebumps. And forming their families. We figured if we started this at the beginning of their career, we could help the family support them. Whether, and everyone was it started yeah. in Weymouth, yeah. which was awesome. Captain Metcalf. Captain Aaron Metcalf. Yeah. And then wow. we, my administration had us do a for our recruits. It worked out. We got really good feedback. We, you had to bring a friend. If you didn't have a fi- anyone, you had to come with someone. Yeah. And um, we talked to the family member about different incidents, not gory, but just yeah. like what they might be experiencing and how it's difficult to acclimate into normalcy yes. going home and like how you can be supportive and communication and everything along the way. And even like not um, even budgeting, we talked about that, not making setting yourself up that you have to work a detail for that $800 uh, truck payment Mm. Or a vacation that you want to go on to. That's going to be so stressful. That's going to add a rock in the backpack. Yeah. Being supportive of one another. We talked to them about recognizing if each other, uh, knowing each other's baseline and um, Mm. being a friend. And I think starting where we have all this starting from the beginning, I think that's the way to do it. it, It was nice to bring the family in because, you know, a lot of times we're not going to go back and talk to anybody. You know, if something happens, typically the firefighter, the first responder, the EMS, they're not going to go home and tell their significant other or their friend what happened. They're just going to be in a bad mood. Um, Bringing the family in and educating them and giving them our phone numbers. But again, and that's where we're lucky because our departments, like Captain Aaron Metcalf came up with, like, we didn't come up with this. Captain Metcalf came up with this and came to us and said, hey, I need you to do this, this, and this, and this is what we're going to do. And it was like, holy cow, that's a great idea. And uh, it went really well, and Christine was able to bring it to Braintree. And it's just one of those things that hopefully it's going to grow legs. And you grab that new officer when they just come in and, and their family, and you're going to say, hey, this is his, we want you to have that long career. We want you mm-hmm. to get as much out of that pension yeah. as you can, yes. and this is how you can do it and help each other. Yes. We met with the families after. It was really nice. Um, we left our phone, and we had everyone take a picture of our phone numbers. Saying that we're there for the family too, mm-hmm. not yeah. not just for the officers. We thank them for having our offices, the new offices, take this career. I mean, that's a big sacrifice for the family members as well. So we've talked about, uh, you know, how uh, impactful that could be, bringing family members in and new recruits, and how generationally and over time uh, that that will result in a change in culture for the better. Right. It, it's better for the families. It's better for the first responders. Um, and the way that you guys describe it, it sounds like a really smart program that's yeah. going to be effective. And it also does have to be supported by administration, right? right? Yes. So that's, that's, um, that's just incredible yeah. that it is. Um, I also, when you told the story about that man going to the Golden Gate Bridge and mm. what he'd written on his note, I immediately uh, thought back to, um, to follow up. Right, and we had just kind of been right. been talking about that as well, and the call volume, six hundred and seven calls, and in a certain amount of months, and and then I found myself thinking about you know when you described how you got into peer support, and it was that second time when they came back and right. look what that did, not just for you but for the culture. Now you're somebody that that's actually that, that's that's um, that's doing the work. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that that follow up is is happening on these incidents because I think it's probably understandable why why we're reluctant at times even when we know that we're not doing well to speak up and, and you know and then be hoping because how does that what is that follow up 
it's it's a smile you know right. if somebody just smiles at me and says hello on the way to yeah. right yeah. and and it's like um you know how many how many first responders who and it doesn't have to necessarily end in a tragedy that everybody recognizes but how many do do we lose from the career that right. really they they just needed help yeah. you know um so yeah I, I guess what i'm what i'm wondering at the end of that that ramble is we kind of talked about where it was, right? Mm-hmm. Where the state of, of the conversation about mental health and first response was 10, 20 years ago. Where it's at now, which, you know, we're all, I think, kind of describing it as the science and math of, of psychology kind of meeting uh, with with the reality that, that we respond to traumas and there's going to be an impact and there's a better way to deal with it than the way that we have been. Um, and, and my question or, or what I'm wondering is, what do you guys see as next, right? Like, what what can we do to further this conversation uh, in, in a direction that's beneficial to first responders and to their families? Like, the families that, I don't hear that talked about enough. There's such a big part of, of the conversation, um, you know, and my goodness, they oftentimes don't know what's going on, right? All they, all, we're just all getting miserable together. Right. Nobody knows why, exactly. you know, including yeah, the person that's right. bringing it home and like nobody knows. Right. And, and, uh, yeah. So if you guys have thoughts on that, like what's next, how do we, how do we move this along? Well, I know in our department we're working on and the unions, uh, have agreed to it. Um, the chief wants to have a mental health day where the officer, will go and speak with a mental health counselor, a licensed counselor. Um, the chief doesn't want any information, doesn't want to know what happens, just needs you to sign off that you were there, and he'll give you a day off for it. Um, after. And, yeah, after. And basically, you know, he has said, I want people, like, even if they have nothing to say, he, yeah. he said, he's like, this will open the door that I know where I can go when I have to or if I have to. Mm-hmm. And it will, it will normalize that yeah. thing. And again, I got to give credit where credits to Chief Fuller and Captain Metcalf and, and the admin at Weymouth um, has really been on the forefront. I know the chief, when he's gone to the different seminars, he's really paid attention to the, oh, the mental health pieces that are That makes about. my heart, yeah. like, so... <laughs> I'm going to go over and knock on his door. Yeah. I think I'm going to give him a hug, too. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Chief Fuller. Yeah, mm-hmm. so just normalizing it and, and getting people to know where that help is, mm. um, I think, is important. Um because I know when we've done some debriefings or defusings, in the past, you've had that officer or firefighter who's been on for 30 years, and they're ready for retirement, and they're just grumpy. And they'll be there with their arms crossed, and nine times out of ten, they say the most. And at the end, they'll say, where was this 20 years ago? Mm. You know what I mean? So that pre-incident education, that education to departments, and that education to individuals and officers and firefighters and first EMS, mm. to let them know that this is real, and there's ways we can get around it. There's ways we can overcome it. Mm. And there's ways you can work on yourself to be better and survive this career. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally recognize all that you're after saying there, Ed, because it is so important. What you know, you are going out there. You are in this profession, 
And I love that you're bringing families in right at the beginning when these new officers are coming in, right? And then, but what about the officers that are there already? And, right. they're, you know, they could be struggling or they could be like five years in. I remember like Billy Cushion saying his father had said to him, well, just wait until sure. you five me five years, right. you come back to me and you tell me, you know. Yes. And it, again, you know, these new recruits coming in off the academy and they're ready, bring on the cartel, yeah. right? <laughs> we, we're going to get them all. Yeah. And uh, we're going to clean the streets and the whole thing. And then, you know, and then yeah, Iraq, Iraq goes <laughs> yeah. in the backpack, yep. and uh, and and they start building up and st- building up over time. So yes, they are in a job, mm-hmm. and you know their departments, their agencies, the government, the, the state. Right. They know that we're putting these men and women out on you know protecting our communities, right. serving their communities, and yes, they are there because they want to help. Right. First and foremost, yep. but they also want to go home at the end of the day, right. healthy, yeah, and and be able to interact with their families, and then but to have families to be able to recognize those signs, um, is a powerful tool for families. Absolutely, it's such a powerful part tool. Of this career, like yes, they are. Part. They are part of that career too. Um, there was a family um, that we had in and their, their daughter was a firefighter and she died by suicide out in Iowa. And um, they said they wished that they were debriefed about what their daughter was getting, what their daughter was going to see. And, and they wished that they had all of that, like that family interaction um, to say, these are the signs that, you know, you could right. be watching out for. Or give them even a leaflet. If there's a leaflet to say, hey, I know there's not a standard thing for like PTSD, right. right, or the trauma that we see every day. But just recognise those signs and to be able to empower maybe a family member to ask those questions. Hey, right. there's, there's something going on. Like, I'm concerned about you not acting your normal self. And um, look, can we talk about it and right. and see where we're going? Or empower families to, to reach out to peer support right. um, to say... Just noting some, can you can you help me out here? Yeah. Um, and be able to go there. So I think that for sure, that bringing the families and getting the families involved, um, is a wonderful thing. I don't think it should just stop there when they were new right. recruits coming in the door because right. they're going to need it. Absolutely. You know, yeah. a couple of years down the road, right? And uh, the, I think it continually should happen. And I do love that Chief Fuller is is you know saying. Hey, I want to have a mandatory once a year right. um, check in. Yeah, that's all it is. Check in. Yep. If you don't want to talk, you don't, don't want to talk. But you know what? You know where the door is when you. You when know you where the door is. Yep. And just by that action alone, he's letting his officers know that he's supportive right. of their health and well-being. Right. We're lucky to yes. have our departments be supportive yeah. and give us the autonomy to be able to help. Yeah, within all these communities and and grow and be better and add more resources. Yeah, and also inspire you know the community like you know young men and women to want to be able to join the police force and the fire department, right? Um, because I know it's hard. It's a different era now, right? Um, from from years right. ago. Um, and it's hard to be a police officer. So we want to make sure that we take care of them, all first responders. Right. right. I love this. Yeah. love this conversation very much. Yeah. Basically, what I was getting at is, is that if there's another department, maybe there's a chief out there listening, maybe there's someone in administration, 
that can have an influence and feels it, like feels that there could be some change implemented in their own departments. That's why we're here. Right. Yes. It's like we want to inspire other departments to do what your departments are doing and still continue to grow and make improvements as you're going on because it's all new, right? And, yes. and, and figuring out what works well, and what doesn't. doesn't right. Work. Exactly. right? Yep. It's like figuring out what works and what doesn't based on right. trial, sometimes trial and error, right? right. right? And, and you, that just, just stems to improvement, um, and that's what we want to inspire other departments to do, so that the office in in your departments that um, will also feel supported, um, and want to get help and be comfortable and feel safe. Right. We owe that. We oh, owe absolutely. that. We owe that to them, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Can I just start to get into the clinician part of it? Sure. Because I know we talked about you went to school, right? And we talked about Bridgewater, and you went to, to this, but we didn't get into it. Like your boat clinicians yes right not only clinicians but clinicians now within your departments yes yeah <laughs> so because you're, they're both police officers um if, if someone has just chiming in now um what does that feel like to you like becoming a clinician right going to school how long did you just go to school for as we're laughing about this, <laughs> you explain. Uh, so did you do it together? Yes, like, oh just yeah. say, "Oh, we're going to do this together." No. Well, tell him. So <laughs> tell him. A few years, well, probably like six or seven years ago, um, when we first when we first became the team leaders, we noticed the call volume. Um, we were getting more busy. Mm. And there wasn't a lot of services out there for first responders. I remember the day that I called you. I was with my family at a soccer game, and we were helping an officer, and we were just basically getting a lot of doors closed on us mm. for services, um, mm. which we've been lucky to really build them up over the years. But um, mm. so I had said to, I had this thought in my head, like, wow, that'd be we should go back to school to be clinicians for because I thought, wow, people would be more inclined to talk to us. We do the job, we understand it. Mm. and we can provide services as well. Mm. So I remember calling him. I'm like, it'll be so easy. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. It literally, it's been blood, sweat, and tears. Passion. That's passion. Oh, my gosh. Like, I don't don't actually know how we got here. Yeah. Thank God for my family. Yeah, it's been been a long ride, and it's funny because we went through our first semester, and I think we did three classes uh, the first and second semester. And at the end of the second semester, she's thinking, oh, you can get a master's in two years. And she's we, like... We did that before. Yeah, like, when you got your CJ master's, right? It takes yeah. about two years. This is a 60 credit. This is a 60 credit course now oh. with internship. It's and double. She, she looks at me after three classes. We're almost there. We're like halfway there. <laughs> and I swear to God. I was like, he I, lost his, he lost lost his mind. And I'm like... I'm like, you, why do you not have the glass half full attitude? <laughs> <laughs> we're like in an argument. About yeah. I'm like, you're such a Debbie Downer. He's like, we're he's like we have, this is like, he's like, we have so much more. We have internship, whatever. And I'm like, yeah. all right. So yeah. this you want to like quit now? Go to barber through. school. <laughs> she used to say, we should just go to barber school. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah. But we were, the, so. we were a package deal throughout school. Oh, yeah. Like, so. Like, everybody in school knew that we were a package deal. The yeah. professors, like, yeah. you know, so it was, uh, it, was, it was interesting. So it, we, 
obviously we're you know the more mature people in class a lot of kids yeah. and i say kids just because they're so much younger yeah. which um, was another challenge with him sitting beside me we won't yeah. get into that <laughs> i i i learned how to um keep my opinions in my to myself. So, yeah. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> uh, yeah, she'd be punching me in the arm, like, shut up, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> You're making the tears come out of my eyes. Oh. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so we finally graduated. Um, we just finished we up. We had our families there. Yeah, had our families there. <laughs> so like, for graduation. Finally yeah, finished, for graduation. They finally yeah. finished. Yeah. <laughs> so we were finally done. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, was a, it was an interesting. I'm glad we did it, as, as long and as hard as it was. Yeah. It was it was a good experience. And, yeah, uh, we learned a lot, and uh, we we got a lot of good resources with friends with you know the the, doc, do, the doctors and professors who. Teach yeah, it. you were able to bring them in like oh, into the yeah. classes into yeah, into your and they're your interested in now helping yeah. first responders too. So it's been it's been wonderful. Yeah, wow, been fantastic resources. Trip. Yeah, wow. fantastic trip. So where do you where do you think it, where do you plan where do you see it like going where do you want to like I'm excited like first of all. Here's two departments, right? Two towns, right? In in two departments in two towns, right? Neighboring towns, and uh, it's just it just sounds so exciting, like yeah. where you could take this, right? This adventure that you've been on, right? Being being police officers also, but then also going back to school, graduating, and now you're both full full certified conditions, right? Li- licensed cl- clinicians, right? So being very exciting, like, is there dreams and, and you know, um, desires, like, of where you would want to take now your education, like, within your departments? Yeah, we're trying to, we're trying to figure that out now. Yeah. We don't, we haven't, we just finished a couple months ago, so yeah. we're yeah. trying to come up with a plan now on how we can, because yeah. we're both staying on our jobs. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out how we can do this part-time and then... Yeah, when we le- when we retire, yeah, still be able still to be support able to do that and like how we can have this grow. So yeah, yeah. So when you finish school, Jay, let us know. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can jump right on board. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. We still enjoy the job. And we want to yes. stay with the job. Yeah. Um, this is just. It's not like a second career. It's just. It's another tool that we can use. Mm. Yeah. And like Christine often says, um, you know, within Metro, you have SWAT, you have the bikes, you, you have all these units that help other people. Yeah, and this is the one unit that helps the first responder helps yeah. us. Yes, and I think you know going back to school and getting the degree—that's just one more way we can work to help the first responder. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah, it's kind of like we're just going to let that kind of flow and See yeah, yeah, a lot of doors are starting to open. So yeah, kind of like trying to make a plan. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like one in one of our last um, interviews um, from from Braintree. Um, there was um, he was talking about like Dallas. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, a wellness unit out in Dallas right. where they have this mobile unit, and they take note of all the departments that's you know within da- uh, maybe right. they have seven departments right um, that they go visit, and they check in on officers. Maybe they had a couple of calls, and they don't have to be like critical calls, right? But just hey, you had a lot of calls this week. Let's check, and they might go over and do a little cookout with them and right. check in with them. And and I love that, like a mobile unit, right? And peer support yeah. mobile unit, wellness unit. It's just absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff that can come from, 
you know, your perseverance of sitting in school <laughs> with younger kids, um, for you. Um, like as you, as, you, uh, as you said, Ed. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff that can come yeah. about, you know. So I am excited as um, a Braintree resident of being able to, you know, see, you know, where this will all go, like in the future, you know, right. and to, to say, well, they're only just graduated now in like five years' time. We might have you back on and say, well, well what are you doing now? Right. Because <laughs> yeah. there's, there's yeah. lots of, you know, there's lots of, lots of stuff change yeah. or there's lots of stuff doors are after being opening right. and there's things changing and there's things growing and there's a, obviously a need for it, right? Yeah. Um, with peer support, that's why... Um, it's such in heavy demand. You had over six hundred calls, and you know, right. so there's a lot, a lot needed, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if, if that's a, a better way to be able to to um, monitor different departments who might be struggling, or or just make it easier for someone to be able to approach you to say, "Hey, I'm having having a hard time today," or yeah. "I'm having a tough time." I love that. Love it. Well, guys, listen, uh, I I could go on, as you can see, like, right? I could c- continue talking, but thank you for sharing that with us about, you know, you going back to school. Guys, these are two pe- very passionate people um, working within our communities, uh, want to make it better for not only for the communities, but also for officers, um, for first responders who are saving those communities to make it safe, make it easier for them to be able to talk about what they're going through and what they see every day because it is not normal. And um, we just wanted to share this with you and we thank you so much for coming in today um, and giving us all this information and being able to have um, a great conversation about mental health and first response. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much guys it was an honor to be here oh. yeah, I appreciate your time oh, thank, you. thank you so yeah, much and everything that we do if we can't get it out to the public or out to the departments that's why we need yeah. things like this like a, a forum to kind of broadcast that so yeah. thank you so much thank for you, you so too much. Oh, thank you so much I, I appreciate it I get the final thank you <laughs> thank you for coming on the podcast joining us in this conversation for your service as police officers and for all the good work that you're doing in peer support Christine and Ed shared with us their own inspirations to become police officers and the roles that they've played during their career they were both introduced to peer support within their own departments for Christine it was after having an accident They both talked about those bad calls, about supporting each other, being kinder to one another, checking in on their peers, and the driving factors that led them back to school to further their knowledge of mental health so they can be of more help to others, especially first responders. They also shared information on how getting families involved with new recruits can help bring awareness to the families of first responders, have them be more aware of behavior changes in their loved ones, how to seek help when needed. These officers care about the well-being of their peers. Please, don't be afraid to reach out to them. Why try to do it alone when you can unload that backpack to someone who gets it, someone you can trust, just might feel better for it. Till next time. Till next time.